Hello and welcome to Hustlers for a Cause, the podcast for growth-oriented entrepreneurs and executives who aspire to create positive change in the world. Are you in business for more than just profit? Then like and subscribe today and join our channel to become a hustler for a cause. Hello and welcome to Hustlers for a Cause. Today, we're honored to have special guest, Dustin Miller, Poly Innovator. Dustin is the host of the Polymath Podcast, the founder of The Modular Degree, and the Omni Content Creator. Dustin, it's an honor to have you here today. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Sean. And just one little correction there, Polymath Polycast, actually, because just on a little tangent here, I hate the word podcast. And the reason why is because I hate Apple. And Apple is the reason why we call it podcast because of the iPod. And most people don't know that little bit of history there because it used to be called streamcast or audiocast. But when they got popularized because of the iPod, everyone started to shorten it down to podcasts. The poly also means much or many. And I have many series, many topics, and many kinds of guests. And so I like to kind of have that in there as a neat little way of yes. explaining. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Okay, so... Tell me a little bit more, because I know you were also a little upset about Clubhouse too, right? Oh, Clubhouse yeah, is... I was heated. Yeah, <laughs> I feel the same way too. I ended up like getting an iPhone just so that I can, I mean, I still have my Android and that's what I use, yeah. but yeah. Just for the app. Yeah. I actually legitimately made a blog post saying, I will not buy an iOS device just for this app. I was that bad about it. And <laughs> I don't normally get this like, I guess you could say black or white on it. I'll probably go yeah. gray down in the middle, mm-hmm. but I was very upset that a modern app like that that is being custom developed is only on one platform any sort of modern app nowadays there's plenty of ways of doing it through kotlin or some universal languages and just cross-disciplinary languages too that like actually allow you to code for both platforms mm-hmm. so there's not really much of an excuse nowadays for a major platform like that especially after they grew to not yep. have both and they just recently hired an android developer and it's going to be months away before they get an android version let alone mm-hmm. it being good yeah, it's interesting. There's like, so I have like this, a pretty big tech background and there are mm-hmm. two very passionate camps and almost no one that I know that is willing to cross the boundary and be on both sides <laughs> of it, that it's either you go like all native all the way and build like excellent on one platform and move to another, or you build generic hit every platform, although, you know, and there's, yeah, the debate across the two is unbelievable. But yeah, tell me a little bit more about yourself. Tell me about your background. Where did it all start for you? Well, and I will say, I see like you were a full stack engineer and you had that uh, progressive web app experience and your history is there. So you would know exactly what we're talking about here. But there's no reason why they couldn't do a PWA for Clubhouse. And I I just wanted Mm -hmm. to touch on that real quick because I can't even go on there and reserve my username, for example, on their website, let alone use it on their website or something like that. I thought that was ridiculous. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's it. But other than that, my overall endeavor is called Poly Innovator, where I created this to be a foundation for all of my future careers throughout my life. When I was reading about you and learning about that, it seemed to me like, it almost felt like at like an early age, you felt like your like life path was just like different than other people. Mm-hmm. And you knew you were going to be different. You were, knew you were going to do things in a different way. So tell me like a little bit more about that. And like, yeah. how did that happen? And yeah, was there like a moment <laughs> that it changed for you? 
There's a couple moments that probably stand out, but one thing that I know that helped me define my path more so than usual, which didn't necessarily differentiate me just yet, but helped me go like, hey, I know what I want to do, is that when I was like eight or nine, I knew I wanted to be a businessman, and I had asked my family for office supplies for my birthday, and then when I was 10, I had my own business selling temporary tattoos, so already I'm on that entrepreneurial path, but then mm-hmm. when I got into school, we finally got to the point of like middle school and junior high where we could start choosing electives, and I started choosing business, intro to business intro to money management, intro to, uh, not intro, but careers. And then high school came around. I was like, okay, if I want a business, I'm going to have to be good at digital media. So let's take digital media and web design and graphics design and all those classes that I specifically chose because I knew it would help my career. And then over time, I realized like, I want to be a CEO. I want to have, I want to be someone who has the power to make a change. That was my idea for the past over past a decade. Now I've had this hashtag make a change kind of running through my mind. Yep. And I was thinking like, okay, a CEO of an international company driven to innovate technology and ideology. That was what the words that were coming out of a 17 year old's mouth. <laughs> and so <laughs> even, like, even when I graduated high school, I was like, okay, I'm probably not going to choose the same path. I wasn't inclined towards college. And I did look for colleges and a couple years back, a few years back, actually, I was like, hey, I want to work in smart city development. Maybe I'll need to get an IT and or business degree to work in that because that's the only way I could do it. There was no smart city degree out there at the time. There is one now, but it's a master's level, but there was none at the time. So I'm searching like all across the world for this smart city degree. And I was like, well, I can't find one. Screw it. I'll make one myself. And that's what yeah, I Yeah, that was the start for you. And I know, so yeah, so it was global sustainability, project management, and social yeah. entrepreneurship, right? Exactly. I'm glad you found that because I haven't put that in the new site too much. And those are the three kind of tiers or not tiers, but areas that I thought needed to come together to work in a true smart city developer position. And now are you still seeking like a way to bridge these together? Like still like, do you see going into that career path? Yeah. What does that mean for you now? Is it just like a learning along the way? Well, I figured it's going to be a while before I can work in that field. And those three areas coming together would come from experience and individually those areas. Social entrepreneurship, for example, I'm trying to go into via my modular degree platform that I'm building out. Because I built out this do-it-yourself education and I realized I can make this into like a template for someone else to use and modify for their own use case. And I found other people like Scott Young or Lori Picard who did their own education MIT Challenge and No Pay and BA, respectively. And they were very interesting endeavors, but they were very specific and specialized. I wanted to make an education for people of all different backgrounds, including polymaths and people who are multidisciplinary, because there's no traditional schooling for people like that. It's like, okay, let's create one. And so I started expanding it out, making more content around this concept, and hopefully creating this social construct of an education platform for people to use. Then with that background combined with project management, because I've always been a systems thinker, I'm, if you see my Notion databases, you'll just be in awe of like all the crazy <laughs> different things I'm putting together like that. But it's like one of those things where all these different experiences are coming together and I may not be ready for the smart city developer job yet, but I see the stepping stones. I'm connecting the dots. Nice. Yeah. So I guess before we jump into Poly Innovator and kind of like going into that whole path, tell me more about just like a, like the concept of a polymath uh, why, and why it's so foundational for you. Well, polymaths by definition are someone with much or many deep areas of knowledge. And usually it's more learning. Some people don't say knowledge, they say many learnings. But I think it's kind of in that way of in the modern context, someone with three or four areas of deep level knowledge. And they're 
constantly curious, constantly learning, and they're autodidactic by nature. And you can kind of see the starts of that with jack of all trades or generalists or multipotentialites, these other terms that people identify with. And I realized that they kind of flow into a spectrum. And so I started working on this multidisciplinary spectrum to try to explain it for people to kind of identify with, like, hey, I fit into that little name or moniker there. And that way they can understand themselves more. And I found that I'm not a polymath yet. Like, I think that's something you mm -hmm. have to do over your lifetime, maybe not your entire lifetime, like some people think. I think you can get it done quicker if you're strategic and deliberate about certain things. But it still takes at least a couple of decades, at, at, at the very least, I feel like. And I'm probably more of an expert generalist level in some areas like swimming or content creation, that kind of thing that I would be confident enough to say that I'm an expert in. But there's a certain level of diversity and deep level into that diversity. Interesting. Yeah. And so you've kind of answered there too. The other question I had that was really like the difference of a generalist versus a polymath. So it's like, so generalist is just more, just not as much deep expertise. A deep, yeah. wow, I can't speak today. Deep expertise. <laughs> yeah, I heard it. And yeah. it's interesting too, because I think generalist is also one of those terms that can be a little bit more range in a way. That's why, I mean, speaking of range, yep. David Epstein's book is really good on this, but generalists can be kind of a little bit of a lower level, but also a little bit higher level. Some people even say expert generalist instead of polymath. So mm -hmm. kind of a step down almost in a way. So I, I would say they're just kind of a, a spectrum within generalists, let alone within the entire spectrum, which is yeah. interesting. Yeah, definitely. And so you mentioned a few people specifically that you really follow that kind of were like your polymaths. Can you uh, tell me a little bit more like, are they the ones like Scott and Lori, are they the ones that really inspired you the most or? Well, I wouldn't necessarily say that they're, they were inspiring me because of the polymath, they were inspiring me because of the education pathway they took. So they okay. were very like rebel educators in a way, they were choosing their own path. And so mm -hmm. the way I like to explain poly innovators is that these polymaths that I'm trying to do, like try, not trying to do, to cut the part out, but the polymaths <laughs> that I'm trying to help people just know more about yep. this whole niche, that's like the overarching umbrella. But within there, I have different phases and different sub niches that I talk about. And this first sub niche, which is separated in its own right, but part of that same ecosystem is around this modular education. And so Laurie Picard and Scott, they motivated me to help push past my own like breaking points. If I wanted to stop pursuing a course or stop working hard at doing this learning endeavor, I would think, well, they didn't. And so that's one way. So how did they get their education? Did they start out just, were they just going online and like learning? Like what was, yeah, what was the path yeah. like for them? And now as you're taking it on yourself and trying to follow in their footsteps, how is it? Yeah, well, there's been a few people since then that's had a little bit easier time, but let's also look at the way education's been online. So before 2011, it was all just open courseware, which people like different universities would just put their lectures and, and slides mm -hmm. and all that stuff just randomly on their websites. And I say randomly because they could be like any order in a way. And so it's kind of like a mess trying to go through and trying to find which textbook goes to which lecture and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But that's where Scott Young basically did. He finished his challenge. He did a MIT challenge, basically trying to compress a four-year computer science degree from MIT into one year. And he had tons of time. He had tons of, he had his income taken care of. So all he had to focus on was learning. So he'd spend like 10 or 12 hours a day learning, which that's a pretty extreme example because you could probably do what he did in three years and still be what people would say is successful. 
And mm -hmm. basically he had to create his own education because there was no MOOCs, there was no online courses just yet. Whereas when Lori Picard came about, I think like 2013, 2012, MOOCs had become a thing. People were starting to talk about them. Everyone was excited about them. So she created her own MBA using MOOCs from different platforms like accounting and business and stuff like that. And then there's other people, uh, Jonathan Haber, who did his philosophy degree and trying to think another Lori, uh, Lori Miller, I think, actually, she did her BA in four weeks where she already knew a lot of the knowledge and self-taught, but she took a whole bunch of CLEP tests within a month's time span, was able to get the bachelor's degree in a month, essentially. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it's awesome. It was a creativity of all that that inspired this whole modular degree concept. Okay, cool. So tell me more about the modular degree and now what you've created. Yeah, so the modular degree is a self-education pathway. You can kind of think of it like a self-curated list. So when I started out, I just started collecting courses and I was like, I want this course, this course, this course. And it was kind of like shopping in a way. I got excited or overly zealous and collected over 450 courses, which even if I were to somehow take a course a day, it would still take over a year. It obviously wasn't going to work with that level of amount. So I decided, okay, let's cut it back. And over the past year or two, I've been cutting it back more and more. Now it's around 100, 120, which is way more manageable. But even with me, I can speed read, I can speed watch videos, I can get through a course pretty quick, like a 30 hour course in 15 hours, something like that, like on average. Mm -hmm. But I still need to go and do those. But I realized that it's not just courses. We're, we're doing a podcast right now. And so that's a good way of learning. People coming into this podcast are learning about self-education. They're learning about polymathy. They're learning about business and following your own cause. And so there's an interesting way of that audio platform being a good way of learning. There's also articles. There's also books, audiobooks. How do we quantify all this learning that we're doing online? How do we keep track of it? How do we actually use that knowledge that we learned? Some people would read a blog post or tons of them and then forget half of it because they didn't put output it anyway. Our brains are input and output. That's how we work. Yep. We need some way, even if it's just taking notes or making a blog post. Like if you take a course, make a blog post about it. Not only will you condense it down for someone else to read, but then you also teach them and that helps you concrete the knowledge more. So I wanted to create a system that helps that. And so in Notion in particular, I created a database that's a master list and there's another database for semesters where you can organize it any way you like. You can do semesters, you can do projects, you can do like topics or themes if you wanted to too. Just really depends on what you like. And then whatever tag, I guess. Then you have the different content types. So you have these database views, same database as above with that master list, but you only view the audio, you only view the video, and you only view the written, and then basically back and forth between different content types. And that's kind of the basic sense, but I envision a platform where you can sit there and collect different books and courses and put it in a list, and then you organize it in what way you want. And the power of choice is the key. Yeah, that's really cool. And Notion is a platform too. It's like an oh, awesome, amazing, yeah. awesome platform. Yeah. So just tell me a little bit about where people can go to like, to get on, like, can you, just, you can't just go jump on Notion and just like pull it down. Right. So tell me about where, where you people go to learn more about the platform to get involved and Sign up. Yeah, well, I've been working on making a template public. I think I finally made a blog post recently where I shared the template. So you go on polyinventor.space. There's a whole section for modular degree and alternative to college tagged. You can click that. You can find all kinds of great posts around pursuing your own self-education. You, you should learn about it first before you go and try it. Granted, you can go and start collecting it as soon as you want. But there's a certain 
way of doing it, so to speak. You want to make sure you don't collect things that you're not actually going to use or do with anything. Like I collected 450 courses. I'm obviously not going to use all of those. And if yeah. I had known this sooner, I probably wouldn't have wasted so much time. And now it's also easier with the Notion Web Clipper. And so I'll be making more and more posts about that. And I'll be trying to make an MVP of it beyond Notion at some point in the future mm -hmm. too. Okay, so tell me more about like now a listener. How does a listener know that this is the right path for them. Mm. And, and then I guess second question, follow up, you, you made a great point, right? Like I do it all the time where I go and I just grab tons of things that I'm like, I'm just gonna start learning about this. And I just like start filing into my own like little personal notion or whatever, mm -hmm. but yeah. So how do I be strategic about what areas I'm gonna learn about next? Well, and I will say, I need to post this again, because once I moved websites, I no longer had an LMS, but I created a self-education mini course, which helps people get in that right mindset. And I, I want to get that out here as soon as possible. I'll put it, probably put it on my special.tv, which is a Netflix YouTube hybrid where you can make your own Netflix, essentially. And I was going to put that as a free course on there for people to watch. Um, so keep an eye out for that. But I think it'd be interesting, too, because you can get overwhelmed pretty easily. And you, the first question you asked was, how do you know if this is for you? Well, for me, I literally couldn't find a degree that actually suited me. That's one thing. Like I just couldn't find one anywhere else. There was no traditional pathway for it. And I've noticed now that over the next coming decades, there's a lot of careers and jobs that we're not being prepared for. Like there's data science Definitely. jobs that we don't know about. We, we have tons of data science education, but not necessarily in the areas that we need or applied in the areas that we might need. Like solar fields, for example, there's hardly any education for understanding data science in solar fields. You can have one or the other, but not necessarily both. And so things like biotechnology, nanotechnology are two good examples of new coming fields that we don't know enough about. And the interesting thing is too, let's say you're a 56 year old person that wants to pivot careers. You decided you wanna leave your company, but you don't wanna go back to college, but you need to learn a new skill in order to get that new career. Well, how do you go about learning that new skill? Do you go get a vocational training? Maybe, but for some skills you can't. And for example, there was issues with like coal miners in the US where they lost their jobs because coal plants shut down. And there's a reason for them to move maybe to work on solar engineering, for example, or learning how to program. And there's some programs out there for people like with grants to actually help them do that. But let's say you don't have one of those around you. You might be a perfect person to like, hey, I want to take a short boot camp style modular degree and learn this skill so I can go get a job in it. Yeah, cool. And I think you brought up boot camps too. So tell me a little bit about like now there's especially like in the coding space, right? There's mm -hmm. like tons of these boot camps out there that you can go and they'll guide you along the way. So there's another like element to this too, right? Of like self-directed mm -hmm. versus something that someone is kind of giving you every step along the way. Right? Yeah. I mean, I'm trying to pull up my notion page on it because it'll help me explain it better too. But I think it's interesting to think about that it is self-curated and you are the one that's in control. Whereas when you go and get a traditional degree, you may control a couple electives, maybe what your major is going to be, but it's very limited on what you're actually choosing to learn. Excuse me. And I thought that the pathway you take too, some people are just lifelong learners. In fact, I think it's human nature to be lifelong learners, but there's some people who are more attached to the idea than others, and they need a way of organizing their learning. So that's that slow path that people can take. And then there's that boot camp style where you can really kind of just, hey, you just want to get this as quick as possible and try to maximize your learnings in a short time span. Think of it kind of like Duolingo. You just need to learn basically the language before you go travel to that country. And so you can yeah. kind of 
treat it like that. And then there's a traditional modular degree in the middle. Three different tracks, so to speak, that I'm thinking of. And this modular degree will be more along the lines of you have 120 hours of courses and credits that you want to do, and you can go and pursue that. And I do think in the future, it'd be really interesting to have something like an AI system like Netflix has for recommendations to push different learning materials like, hey, I think you'll like this. Hey, you can go ahead and do this. And yeah, maybe having mentors to help with that as well. Yeah, I could definitely see that. And I could definitely see like a little bit of like one-on-one -on -one coaching aspect to it too, you know, like someone that can just help guide you along the way. Yeah, absolutely. Have you thought at all about that, about like the mentorship side of connecting, you know, people together? Yeah, I know there's a tool called pickmybrain.world, which has been really interesting. It's been cropping up and that's a good way of getting like people who are highly knowledgeable to come like give you an hour of their time. So maybe you can incorporate something like that. I think that there should be a certain level of a social network built into it where you have peer-based learning. Like if you make a modular degree around progressive web apps, which you know a lot about, but you wanna learn more about, and I wanna learn it from my website. And if you have yours public, I could pursue your degree that you had already made. Let's say I have one around podcasting because I have like 150 episodes and I'm not sure if you're, you're pretty close to that. How, how many do you have? Um, probably like 30 to 40, something okay. like that. But yeah. still you're doing well. And let's say you want to learn a little bit more podcasting than what I've learned from, then we can kind of switch, you know what I mean? And it's not really coaching or mentoring, but it's sharing knowledge and sharing the workload. And then there's an idea of like, if someone has already completed that degree and you want someone to help you, perhaps you could help me learn a little bit more progressive web apps directly. And I could go on, pick my brain and ask you mm -hmm. for an hour of your time, pay you 20 bucks, 50 bucks, however much it might be. And say like, Hey, can you help me learn this? Okay, so there's another aspect of this that has me very curious too, which is around like accreditations, right? So the, like the traditional schooling gives you these accreditations, like what is the solution there as you move and you embark on this kind of a journey? Well, is that even relevant anymore? I would yeah. argue it's not relevant, but I know that to people it is. So in a big macro view, accreditation is as much as you can prove yourself. If when you go to college, you are literally getting a piece of paper and that is your accreditation. That's it. It's all you got is that piece of paper and however many credit hours, but every, every school has different credit hours and they don't always translate to each other. And that's because of the different regional accreditation bureaus that we have. It's also kind of an old way of thinking too. If you look at the way that accreditation works with university, it usually takes a couple of years for that university to come up with a new curriculum, send it to the accreditation bureau, like, hey, this is what we want to teach. They go through it, see if it's actually worthwhile. Then it takes a better like, year for the school to actually implement it into the system. So it usually takes three to four years just to actually input, maybe sometimes sooner for some colleges, but for the most part, years before they can actually get that new curriculum into their school. And that's an important way of distinct, uh, making a distinction of like, hey, is this fact or fiction, that kind of thing. But we're seeing now with the internet, there's a lot of ways of having truths. Like if there's a lot of people who say like, I've, had, I've done this science ex experiment, I know it's true, I can vouch for it, that kind of thing. The other aspect is how do you prove it as a learner of the mod degree? I thought personal branding is a good way of going about sharing your knowledge. I've been doing it right now with sharing my knowledge about exercise, content creation, or like just blogging in general, self-education, all these different topics. But that's one way of doing it. Perhaps maybe you want to find, yeah, another idea is CLEP test. So Lori Miller, who I mentioned earlier, she did her BA in four weeks, where she literally took however many CLEP tests it took to get a bachelor's degree because she already knew the knowledge. If you learn the knowledge through the modular degree, you can go and take a CLEP test, which do translate to a traditional degree. 
So there's a few different ways of going about it. There was another one that I can't remember off the top of my head, but I'll let that be. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk a little bit more about, you brought up a little bit about your own skill set. So I'd love to just dive into them a little bit. Tell me a little bit more about what the skill sets that you would say are your areas of deepest expertise and tell me a little bit more about how you learned them. Yeah. So I was never much of a fitness guy growing up, but now if people are listening in, I'm raising my arms up. You can see that I have a decent amount of muscle in my body. I have made a significant progress from what I once was. And before I get into how and why, I just want to share this little story. I saw this guy I knew in, I think I was in eighth grade. He might've been in ninth grade and this was mm-hmm. junior high. So those are the only two grades they had. And I was sitting with this table with these quote unquote friends. And I think they were friends, but they were kind of like those friends that will screw with you. And they would always pick on me and give me a hard time, but they were friends. And I saw one of them at the gym that I work at one day and he was working out. This is before quarantine, but um, we say hi to each other. And he, like he texts one of our old friends. He's like, Hey, you know, that guy we used to tease back in like junior high. Yeah. He's ripped now. <laughs> and I was like, that's a really nice thing to say. Thank you. And I thought that was kind of a funny story to add there because I started out swimming, took swimming for fitness class, and Mm -hmm. it got me pushing past some of my early boundaries. Because when you first start exercise, it sucks, no matter what you're doing. Swimming is something I always enjoyed. I love being in the pool. So it was an easy way for me to kind of get into that. And I I say easy, it wasn't easy. I had no strength, no muscles, no endurance. Eventually Mm -hmm. got that built up a bit, became a lifeguard, and soon after became a swim instructor. And I've been teaching swimming for almost a decade now. And I taught water aerobics and water boot camp and move your joints and personal training just evolving from there. That's cool. And uh, what other areas would you say are your areas of expertise? Yeah. And so I guess around that same time, because it's like high school time too, a little bit earlier, I guess I started blogging. So 2011, 2012, I started pursuing my first blog and learning about WordPress and social media marketing eight or nine years ago. And granted, I wasn't going to be doing that good at the time, but I was learning about it learning about SEO, of course, which actually has helped me a lot since then. And I thought it was interesting. Like I could share my ideas and create content for other people to see. Put it on the side burner as I was finishing high school. And as I got a little bit older, uh, after high school, I brought it back. And I realized that I wasn't good enough to really build this organization that I was trying to put out. I was trying to build a company or organization. And this is what brought me to think, I need to build a personal brand to build up my own reputation and also pursue my own learning. And that's the same time I created my modular degree. That's the reason why the first few videos on my YouTube channel are documenting my process through the modular degree. So I can actually like show what I was doing a little bit as much as I could at least. And so that's what started both of those there. Cause I was like, Hey, I need to become better. And so I started creating podcasts and blog posts with that old brand. And so I translated that into polycasting and blog posts and videos with Poly Innovator. And since then just been trying to be prolific at being omni-channel content creator. Yeah. Any other areas we didn't cover in terms of like areas of expertise you want to talk about? Well, and I will say I'm a big techie. I think you would understand this too. I mean, I built my mm-hmm. first computer when I was 10. And mm-hmm. since then, been building computers. I know it well. In fact, a series sometime in the future I'm going to make is how to build a computer. Because I know it so well. I was like, might as well share that knowledge. Nice. And I have three screens I'm looking in front of me here. I had multiple consoles. <laughs> like I've played almost every major console besides the various, very newest ones. And so like, I'd definitely be a gamer and techie is another area. Yeah, it's awesome. So when you look at like multidisciplinary learning, mm-hmm. right? I think a lot of times it gets, it was undervalued previously, but now it's obviously becoming more and more in the light. What do you feel like are some of like the biggest benefits or biggest like cross learnings you've had where you like, you know, focusing on one thing 
and then learning about something else, you've been able to just carry that knowledge across. I don't know if this really fits the question, but it's the first thing mm -hmm. that comes to mind. So I'm going to trust that intuition, information architecture. Mm -hmm. And so for those who don't know what that is, it's one of those things where how do you organize information on your computer? So the folders and files on your computer, how do you go and make an organizational structure of like, hey, this is a folder for videos. These are the videos from 2012, 2013, or these are the videos that are fun. These are the videos that are, that are sad. Whatever kind of organizational structure you want to make. And I think Notion has definitely expanded that for me too. I've been a very big nerd when it comes to tools. So I tried over 95 social media management tools, around 30 email marketing tools. And I lost track how many task and project management tools before I finally settled on Notion. <laughs> because I, I literally tried dozens, if not more than that, because I was like, hey, mm -hmm. I need to find one that has multiple layers of extraction. And all of them always had one or two maybe three if you count subtasks, but they were always extremely limited. And so I was like, okay, he had projects and tasks, that's it. And even for the project management tools too. Whereas with like Notion, for example, you could have multiple layers as many as you want. Every line in a database is its own document, which is like brilliant to me. And I thought that was another area where I was just like, hey, I really needed to find that cross disciplinary knowledge. Like I wanna be productive. How do I organize that productivity? I guess a good example is my, equation for content success, right? I came out this this past year because I've been thinking about it for a long time. I've developed my strategy quite a lot. And I've always worked on execution as much as possible. Like I'd stay up till three in the morning posting something if I had to, but I could never get the automation right. I can never find the right tools. Like I said, I tried hundreds of tools and none of them really worked for me. So it's strategy plus automation times execution equals success. And I thought mm -hmm. that is a great cross-disciplinary aspect because you have the why strategy like why do you do certain things why do we need to do it in this order at this time the automation is like the how like what tools are you using to accomplish this especially as solopreneurs and solo content creators and then the execution is the grit factor that is your like what are you doing to actually get this done are you waking up early are you spending your time right after spending time with family you're going straight into working like what are you doing what are the actions you're taking and that's a multiple areas of knowledge you have to pursue. You have to pursue the philosophy of it, the how, and the what. Yeah, you know what's really um, cool about you bringing up information architecture too is like information architecture as a practice is so foundational to many other things, like even content SEO, right? The mm -hmm. way that you organize a site, navigation structure, all that is information <sighs> architecture. Yes. When you look at uh, building new products, Building new products, the first thing you do from like a UX perspective is information architecture, right? So mm -hmm. that's a, a very, very excellent example to talk about. Another question for you on being a polymath, is this something that's reserved for like the Leonardo da Vinci's and the Elon Musk's of the world? Or is this something that anyone can be? Let's start off by saying that being polymathic, I think is in human nature. And I, some people might disagree. Some people might say it's a different way of thinking. There is a certain level of polymathy in everybody. Some people are more than others, I would say. Like Da Vinci is mm -hmm. extreme. Like he's an extreme example. He's discovered light physics, the anatomy of the eye, ocular science, uh, anatomy, and people know him for painting and sculpting. Like it's, it was a very divergent learning pool there for him. I often said on some of my older websites, I want to be the successor to Da Vinci. And that's a very bold statement to make. And it's one of those things where yeah. for me, I think that I can do that. That's something I want to work towards, whether that's egotistical or not. I don't think so. It's just one of those goals that I have. It's one of those things where I want to strive to become that. And I think that a lot of people 
think of it like Da Vinci, but there's plenty of people who are polymaths without even realizing it. So one common thing mm-hmm. I've mentioned a lot is that let's say you work for one company in your life, just one company. And that's not even common nowadays to do, but if you work in this one company and you start out entry level, then you start out middle management, then you do a pivot to another department, then you do a seat level if you get lucky, right? That's four different levels of knowledge or four different areas of knowledge in particular, where you're learning new skills and basically having a mini career in that big overarching career. And I thought that is someone who's a polymath. You have three or four major areas that you've studied and learned. And sure, your degree might say you're a specialist in this, but in practice, you're a multidisciplinary person. One more thing before we move on. Digital marketing specialist is an oxymoron because digital marketing is a generalist position. When you look at all those positions on like LinkedIn for digital marketing specialists, it's pay-per-click, SEO, social media marketing, inbound, outbound, and let's say banner ads and Facebook ads. Those are all these different skills. They're looking for a generalist, not a specialist. That's that's all I want to say. I just wanted to make that point. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Even if you go deeper into like SEO, you could say there's the specialists that are doing on-page versus off-page and yeah. All, all over the place, right? That's like a whole field. It's clumping an entire field, you know, yeah. into one role. We um, are seeing that people are niching down into just SEO or just social mm-hmm. media. And that's fine. It's, we're coming to that time now. But mm-hmm. we're still looking for digital marketing specialists when in actuality, we're looking for like the project manager of a digital marketing team, which, yep. is, which should yep. be a generalist, someone who knows a little bit about everything, if not a lot of it about everything. Like a high powered marketing coordinator. One of the other challenges that I found, right, that I wanted to talk a little bit on was mm-hmm. uh, sometimes it seems like we we try to focus too much on too many things at once sometimes. And when we do, we end up like slowing down our ability to make progress. So being a polymath, I'm sure you're working on a lot of different things at the same time, right? Always learning in many different areas. But sometimes I'm sure you've hit those points where it's like, you can't make any further progress. It gets stuck a little bit because you're focused on too many things at the same time. So how can we recognize that in ourselves and stop that from happening? It's a good question. Obviously, it's one of those things that's very convoluted to answer, but I have two examples that come to mind. First and foremost, the saying, jack of all trades, master of none. People often harp on jack of all trades or even polymaths for being mm-hmm. too divergent in their interest pool or being too overly curious. Problem is, that's not the full saying. The full saying goes, jack of all trades, master of none, but oftentimes better than a master of one. And when you mm-hmm. listen to that full saying, it's much more positive. And I think different yep. ones will say oftentimes or sometimes, but still, it's still positive. And it's interesting to think about how when you are diverging your interests, you are learning from different areas, but you're able to cross-pollinate between those areas. If a specialist is trying to find an innovation to their field, they're looking within that same trench of knowledge that they have dug for a very long time. When in actuality, the solution they're looking for could be in the trench next to them. Like I mentioned earlier, biotechnology, nanotechnology, there's a reason why they're combining is that the innovation that we're finding is getting smaller and smaller. We have to find ways of combining the science of like quantum particles when it comes to quantum computing, for example, with the hardware that we're developing. It is a very cross-disciplinary field. You have to know both in order to even work in that field. And the other example was with the modular degree. I'm trying to go for the skill tree-based learning, whether that's on the course itself or the degree itself level. But let's say you're taking a course, an example I like to use is how to build a house. You have carpentry, wiring, plumbing, and the blueprints of the house. Four different areas you need to know in order to build this house. Who's to say you need to learn one or the other first? Sure, understanding the blueprints and how everything fits together, 
that probably would be one of the first things you do. And perhaps we should do that first. But let's say you're more interested in carpentry. Like that's the thing that you are curious about the most. What's stopping you from pursuing that first, learning how to cut the wood, learning how to the style the house and build out the frame. When like you could just pursue that path. Let's say you get to the point where like, hey, I don't know enough about the blueprints or I don't know enough about plumbing to know where this piece of wood is supposed to go. Let's track a little bit, go down another path go down another path when you're done with that. And over time, you are making progress in all these different paths. Sure, people see that as a lack of focus, but in actuality, in our neuroscience, we're switching tasks. We are focusing on what interests us most. And so we're more eager to learn, more yep. enticed to actually keep going when it gets tough. And when I was a lifeguard, for example, we had three zones in the pool. Our brains can only focus for so long on the same thing. And mm -hmm. so they would switch us every 30 minutes different zones even though it's the same task we're still watching the water we're switching zones which changes the context yeah that's a, a beautiful way of saying that really love it i want to go back a little bit on the hashtag make a change right so okay. uh tell me a little bit more about like what inspired you to want to create change tell me a little bit more about that in terms of foundation like what would be the big ideal change that you'd want to say I don't talk about this very often. I've only said it a couple of times in certain shows. I said it in my Poly Innovator Manifesto that I made a while back, but my ultimate goal in life would be to help the world become a type one civilization on the Carter Schiff scale. And that's a big goal. I don't know if I'll ever do it. Definitely. Michio Kaku talks mm -hmm. about how it's probably gonna be like hundred years before we get to that level. I think we could handle it sooner if we could focus on the right thing. So again, taking that polymathic approach, you need to be strategic on how you are approaching different tasks. And I think as a species, we're messing that up. What do you feel like is your biggest challenge now as you look out towards the next year? Hmm. We can go back on that last topic too, if you want to expand upon that. So I was kind of <laughs> leaving on the cliffhanger there. In the next coming year, it's funny because for the past year, I've been working on the polycast interviews and mm -hmm. that's only one series out of my whole show that I do, but it's been kind of my main focus. I have my main series, as I say, the Omni content, which is a multi-platform, multi-format show where I make a blog post. I, I don't know if I'll keep the slideshow, but I make a slideshow out of it, a video and a polycast and cop, cut out the audio, make a polycast. Essentially, you're just repurposing each piece into the next and it won't be the same for everything. I'm not, I'm not reading the blog post when I'm making a video. I'm making it contextual, making it unique. But that was my main series. And I stopped doing it in order to focus on the interviews. So I've been trying for the past couple months to get caught up on the interviews and then finally get back on that on the content train. I also, speaking of information architecture and websites you, you brought up earlier, that's why I was laughing. I just switched to a new website because man, making a website flow the way you want to, especially as someone with so many different topics and tags and content, mm -hmm. like it's hard to organize all that and make it easy for someone to come on and find what they want to see. Yeah, it is a challenge. And I think the other thing too, is that once you program something, you kind of make it static in a way, right? Yeah, you can still make programming dynamic, whatever, right? But you're making choices to structure things in a certain way. And once you grow to like the next level, you fundamentally have to go back and like rethink how you organize and how you bring new yeah. things into the site. And like, there's an ongoing challenge people don't really think about too much there that like, when you make that change, it can have wide implications and stuff. But when I started doing interviews, yeah. I had no way of organizing that on my old site. Exactly. Right. Okay. So I have uh, one other question I always love to ask too, which is if you could make everyone in the world do one thing differently after this interview today, what would that one mm -hmm. thing be? 
The one thing is to pursue your own self-growth. So the modular degree is part of the poly innovation system or personal poly innovation system that I created. And this is just a way of organizing your own growth over your life. Whenever you are creating your education, you're creating that foundation and have the idea of like, hey, this is what I want to learn. You're starting to learn that new skill. How do you take that skill and put it in your life? Well, you need self-improvement. That is the consistency of your habits and systems. What rituals or routines are you following that are actually making that skill part of your life? And then the other aspects are self-development, which is the four pillars philosophy that I talk about a lot on my websites, where yep. it's the mind, body, spirit, and emotions, and how all three of those come together into your life. So pursuing that is what I would say. And where can people go to learn more? Yeah. So I'm very proud of like the fact that I'm on so many different platforms. You can find me at Poly Innovator on pretty much any platform you choose. I'll try to reach out back to you if you reach out to me. And then the other thing is polyinnovator.space, which is my website. Dustin, it's been awesome to have you today. And I can't wait to have you back. There are <laughs> there are an, a nearly unlimited number of topics that I would love to uh yeah, to just dive deeper on. So that's good. Awesome. Thank you, Sean. And uh, look forward to having you back on soon. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Hustlers for a Cause. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform so you never miss a new episode. This helps us keep interviewing incredible individuals and sharing their remarkable stories with you. This episode of Hustlers for a Cause was brought to you by Blabberjacks. If you're an influencer that's creating meaningful change in the world and you're looking for help increasing the reach and distribution of your message, contact Blabberjacks today. See you next time on Hustlers for a Cause. Until then, keep hustling.